What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And as always, a whopping great thank you to everyone who helps keep this show on the road. That's our bestseller academies and our patrons over on Patreon. The Academy, we're going to talk about the Academy in a second. If you want to sign up to that, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. You get me and Mr. D as your one-to-one tutors and amazing courses, amazing community. Uh, and also, if you want to support us on Patreon, uh, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. There you get access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of extra material. Uh, We've had deep dives recently on police procedurals. We've had them on uh, chat GPT. We've had them on how to write a novel with Tim Lott. We've had on marketing, on SEO, all sorts of amazing stuff. It's all there for grabs, people. All you need to do, pop over to Patreon, bung us like 10 bucks a month, uh, you know, and the world is your oyster. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, talking of the Academy, Mark, we we had an applicant from someone this week it's fascinating who sold six um or six figure books but in a children's genre and pivoting now to an adult genre so we wow. get all kinds of really interesting people who are kind of um starting their journey in different and different streams so if you want to hang out with people i mean we've got best-selling authors it's an incredible place to hang out uh, the application window is now open for September enrollment. So pop along, as Mark said, to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com because we are filling up fast. So, mm. Mr. Stay, how's your week been this week? I went to that there London town yesterday. Oh, um, exciting trip on the train. It was an exciting Well, coming up was a nightmare, but um, getting there was fine. Uh, to I, I, I went there to record my introduction to the audiobook of The Holly King. Now, The Holly King, when this episode goes live, is out. One month from now, so it's coming out 14th of September. Very exciting. I've got Candida Gubbins again as narrator for the audience. She's so good. I mean, when I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of it now. When I'm writing the novels, I not only do I hear her voice in my head, but I'm also aware that, oh, gosh, this is one page, and she's going to have to do four different voices, one of which is an accent, you know, because there's a mm. character in the new book called Pearl, and I won't spoil it for anyone, but it requires a very specific kind of action. She's so good. She's so good. It's absolutely brilliant. So you're in for an absolute treat. Uh, so pre-order that from your audiobook supplier now. I, I want to ask about this intro. This is really interesting. So as because this is kind of cool. So as the author of the book, what this you, is, what this how is, how does it work? Each book has a paragraph with the date. And a little bit of history to put it in context. And with the Crowfolk, I didn't know they were doing this. So I don't do it on the Crowfolk, but I've done it on all the others. Uh, I think it was the producer went in and did a kind of newsreel introduction. So it's like, June 1940, war has been declared. So I thought, 
I can do that. So I said, can, can, I, can I do any other ones, please? Can I, can I, can I? So for each one, I've I've done uh, a little introduction. So this one's like, December 1940, as the winter draws in. So I do this kind of newsreel introduction in my Mr. Chumley Warner voice. So, uh, oh, Mr. Chumley Warner. I love <laughs> Hello. it. Hello. <laughs> Mr. Chumley Warner. I think that's fantastic. Well, how, how brilliant is that? Because I know a lot of authors often think about being their own um, narrator of their author books, which is quite rare, isn't it? I mean, when we it's have Brian hard. Cranston on, I mean, but then, but then Brian Cranston, I mean, it's different if you're kind of, you know. An actor. I, well, an actor and, and you know, your autobiography, I think that's mm. fair enough. You know, you yeah. probably want it in the voice of the person who's written it. But um, that's a lovely way of stamping a little bit of you in the audio book. Mm. So there's a tip for everyone is that, you know, think big. Think about when your when your book's gonna be published. It will be an audiobook. And mm. write that write that paragraph at the beginning that you can then say to the publisher or to whoever you're working with, if you're doing it self-published, you can say whatever you want, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too right. But but that's a great that's a great way of just having your little do you know what it's the Hitchcock moment, isn't it? Yes, it's got moment. I, well, he, I get I get cameos in in the films I write, and I have to do the little bit of the audio. It's shameless. I'm just shameless. I'm just totally well, shameless. Sorry, but you know what? It's that's. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think it's part. It's fun, and it's like it. It means that you know it's not just about sitting in the dark room writing all day long. You get to go out and have a trip to London. Okay, so here's a question though: like, how long did it take you to record that paragraph? It was go about on. five minutes. I, know, I was just going to say, I, I knew it was going to be five minutes, or it was going to be like two four hours, hours on the train. Because if you've got one paragraph, if you've got one paragraph to to do, know, you know the pressure know. to get it right. Oh, can I just do that again? Do that again? Oh, come on, we got we got to get on with the rest of the book. I don't know if you've seen one of my favourite comedies is Toast of London, you know, where he's doing, he does voiceovers all the time. And there's a, I'll put a clip in the show notes where he goes in to record it and it's just one word. Yes. And it felt like that. I just went in, did my paragraph. And actually I did hang around and I, I listened uh, to Canada narrating just, uh, three chapters and it was just a joy just to be wonderful. there live. Listening just a good to excuse. Do you know what it is? It's just a stealth way of getting into the studio, isn't it really? Oh, yeah too right and it's air conditioned as well it's really hot yesterday in London. Yeah, very yeah. nice that's brilliant but also it's nice to be a part of that it's nice to be it's like being on the set of the movie isn't it it's like nice mm. to witness the creation of it and it gives you gives you a bit more of an insight into how it all works yeah. as well for people who've yeah, never yeah. done it i was actually uh, um invited to go to the printing press of when we were printing off jen's very last book they they yeah. said they said to us, "It's." I said, "Whereabouts is it?" They said, "Manitoba." I'm like, "Manitoba? That's like the equivalent of flying from like England to Japan or something." I don't know. <laughs> Slight exaggeration, but but no. They said, "What we offer authors is if you want to go to the factory, you can stand there and watch the first copy of the book come off the press, and we'll give you that copy of the book." And I thought, "How brilliant is that? That you actually get to see it made." Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of fun things you can get involved in that you if just you, don't realise. Authors, if you ever get a chance, do do that. It's because we we took a, um, some authors to Clay's, which is one of the big printers in the UK, and it was fascinating. It was you know proper sort of Charlie and the Chocolate, Charlie Factory, Chocolate kind Factory kind of. Tour. I was just yeah, thinking yeah. like it's like the Cadbury's factory, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Oh, it's really talking of Charlie and Chocolate Factory, I saw the preview for the Wonka movie that's coming out. I think mm -hmm. at Christmas yeah. over here yeah, because yeah. I was sitting in the second row. Uh, of the Barbie movie because there was hey! no seats left. <laughs> there were no, I literally 
could not get a seat. It was ridiculous. Like we got the last like two seats, I think, and then we had the old kind of neck strain by the end of the. Mm. But I've got to say, um, I was I, I I was as amused by the film as I was from all of the people that showed up wearing pink. pink. Was this a thing? Totally in a thing. England, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. it was Completely. utterly bonkers yeah. like there was like, like there were just the most amazing get-ups it was it was like being at like a lord of the rings kind of opening yeah. weekend yeah, cosplay movie, yeah 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 it was yeah. cosplays for, for like everyone from little kids up to like grandparents it was yeah. unbelievable that, yeah that film's made a movie it's brilliant it's made a billion dollars in 17 days 17 days which i think yeah. is the fastest grossing movie of all time which i mean Something i have stats like for that. everything it's crazy but, yeah um it wasn't what i expected <laughs> it was a little bit bonkers um but you know i think good on them right good on them for I going and i know what you meant about how like i'm still trying to get my head around how mattel come out selling more barbies out of this <laughs> do you know what i mean it's so messed up it's like wow this is like but it it, it sponsor uh, of the film slight spoiler if you've not seen the barbie movie skip oh. the next 30 seconds but it had you know you a few weeks ago you were talking about the barbie that gets drawn on and has you know wonky <laughs> legs and everything realize, yeah yeah they Quite had like, it in there yeah yeah, yeah. There. and they're, they're actually releasing one of those barbies now they're releasing a tie-in messed up barbie <laughs> a weird barbie so you know i know what to get so you for funny. christmas that's I, I want one of those yeah yeah my girlfriend was really upset though because she said that they didn't um they didn't swap barbie heads that was what she always did apparently growing up she used to swap barbie heads there's a lot that of mutilation that went on yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah exactly <laughs> brilliant stuff anyway so mr oh d gosh, how, so how things about... how are things going with your non-fiction book oh. I'm, I'm, I'm your i'm your accountability partner i know okay so are folks, you still working on it come on i i am it's actually ramping i i'm i'm getting okay everyone knows this feeling well i say everyone i haven't had this feeling in a long time anyone who's ever tried to write a book this is the feeling you want it's the feeling where something happens you have a breakthrough moment might be in your plot it might be with a new character but i had a breakthrough moment this week with where like the stars aligned and suddenly I'm looking at this going, yes, yes, yeah, this is it. This is it. Excellent. It's like that Good. moment where you, I, I just went, oh, and the thing is I've had to work literally, I've been working solidly over the whole summer on this pretty much. I filled an entire notebook, hundreds of pages, all so many, it's a, it's a scattering of crazy ideas a bit like exactly, you know, there's so many parallels in fiction writing. You know how we talk about like you whack down notes on, on um, cue cards or you know, mm -hmm. postcards and then you, you scatter them around, you move them around and you try and look for connections. I've been doing that. It's been like a proper detective hunt. Mm -hmm. But this week something happened and it has literally taken the whole thing to a completely new level. And to say Excellent. I'm remotely excited is a total <laughs> understatement. I am absolutely <laughs> buzzing. And now it's like it's it's constantly on my mind. That's the moment, isn't it? That every author yeah. Yeah, yeah, needs yeah. to get to. It's like you get so into your book, you know, the plot or the the, the message that you're writing about. It's and and you and you wake up in the morning thinking about it you go to bed thinking about it you're, you're writing stuff down as you're doing the washing up because you're thinking about it that's where i'm at right now so i'm gonna very good i'm i'm, I'm gonna commit to doing this um I, I i kind of hasten to say a deadline but i'm gonna say a year and Ooh. i'm to, for the first book so we'll we'll make a date i think what we'll do is we'll tie in with the end of august so we've got like a you know like a because that's that's tied in with the academic is year that, as well. Is that a, is that a pub de it's, it's public a declaration? De a public declaration, Mark. Excellent. I'm putting because that in my diary. I, I now feel confident that I've got enough 
substance to write something worth putting out. That has been my Brilliant. biggest challenge. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of authors like my, they, why should I write a book? There's a book, there's thousands of book like this. But you know, now I found the unique voice part, which is the bit mm -hmm. that I was looking for. So yeah. I just want to encourage anyone else who's been struggling with, you know, whether you're writing fiction on fiction, just keep on writing notes and just writing stuff down. And I promise you, eventually something clicks and it starts, it's almost like it starts to reveal itself. It's like the classic yes, chipping yeah. away at the rock. You know, you know that there's this, the sculpt, sculpture behind the rock and all your job is just to chip away at the rock. It's not to build a sculpture, but it's to find out what's hiding behind it. So I'm going to take you on a journey, everyone, through the creation of this book. I'll be revealing. Yes. I, I, I registered the .com mark this oh, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It's Good a one word .com with eight letters, which is very rare to get these days. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. And oh, I'm intrigued now. I'm going to oh. just leave you all hanging. I'll leave you all hanging, but I'm very, very excited. So Brilliant. And, brilliant, and I think brilliant. it's a kind of book that's actually, um, I think the world needs. I think the world needs this book. So that's that's giving me a lot of um, motivation to get it written as well. So Brilliant. Now, listeners, listeners, you know as much as I do at this point as well. I'm not pretending not to know. I genuinely don't know what the hell this is about. So this is uh, yeah, I haven't this told you. Not even, off, not even offline. No, no, yeah, no, no. This is great. <laughs> I hope I don't build it up too much. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, let's um, let's let's dive into our interviews this week, Mark. This week we've got this is a whole again. We talk about every you know stuff that we've never heard on the podcast. This is yeah. the first, isn't it? Absolute first. Totally first. This is where we have Damien Dibbon, who is a Renaissance man. Uh, he's an acclaimed British author. His novels have been translated into twenty-seven languages, published in over forty countries. Uh, his series, The History Keepers international publishing phenomenon. He's trained as an artist, scenic designer. He's been, been an actor and a screenwriter. And as we discover, he's got another string to his bow, which is just extra. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but this is just extraordinary. We've had tie-in merchandise before, but nothing like this. And he's got a new novel, The Colour Storm, uh, which explores seismic events of the past. And it's, it's terrific. And it is a, a joy for the senses, this book. So we discuss tips for writing about colour, why writing is like getting into the sea, and why this novel has its own extraordinary tie-in merchandise. Brilliant stuff. You're going to enjoy this one, folks. So let's sit back and listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely fascinating Damien Dibbon. Damien Dibbon, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today, sir? Very well. On this, uh, on this chilly... Tuesday, May morning. Indeed, indeed. But look, it's a colourful morning, and which segues beautifully to your book, The Colour Storm. <laughs> That's probably one of the worst segues I've ever done. But uh, what a wonderful, wonderful book. And it's a book that just blossoms in the mind, blooming with colour. Uh, tell us about this book, which I believe started with uh, an exhibition at the Royal Academy. T tell us how it all came about. Yeah. So um, the book is all set in the art world of the Renaissance, and it's all about the search for a new colour. Uh, amongst all the artists uh, of the day uh, and our kind of hero is George Oney who's a kind of lesser known uh, painter uh, but a, a kind of utterly pivotal one in the history of art uh, who sadly died in his early 30s you know before before he'd probably you know done his best work um, but he was alive and competing with uh, you know the likes of Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo Bellini, Titian, um, the list goes on. This was a kind of, you know, the absolute height of the, mm. of the kind of the Renaissance in the, in the early 16th century. 
Um, and the idea came about in two separate ways, as often happens. You kind of have this little bit of alchemy. Um, firstly, uh, I had been to see an exhibition uh, of Giorgione and his contemporaries, and I knew the name, but at the Royal Academy about seven years ago, and I knew the name, but I didn't know that much about him. And then I kind of discovered that he was, you know, one of the first colorists, as it were, uh, which kind of Venice became famous for. Um, and, um, uh, you know, he was possibly one of the first people to paint a landscape painting. And he was certainly one of the first people to sort of paint mood and atmosphere, you know, for their own worth, you know. And whereas the the sort of Florentines, the, the, the you know, in the Roman school, you know, the, the Leonardo's and Michelangelo, it was all about the form and the body and the soul. And the Venetians were very much about kind of, it was almost Impressionism sort of 300 years before. It was kind of mm. the time of the day and the sort of the feeling of the, the seasons and the, and, and the weather and, you know, the breezes and, the, and so on and sort of created these incredible atmospheres. So it was fascinating seeing that exhibition. Uh, at the same time, I heard, was here reading um, this story about a, a contemporary artist, Anish Kapoor, uh, who had uh, recently copyrighted this colour, Vanta Black, which was kind of, I don't know if you know about it, but it's its kind of the blackest, it, the blackest black. It kind of, it, it takes in sort of 99.6% of, 99.96 or something percent of light so it's kind of like looking into the abyss anyway he copyrighted this black and it started this whole kind of miniature war between all these artists who then there was another artist who who basically then created the pink is pink and he wouldn't he'd allow anyone to use it but Anish Kapoor and it was I mean it was slightly I mean, he literally said on his website, you know, this is available for anyone except anyone, you know, working on behalf of or, or connected to a niche before. Um, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a kind of, you know, it, it, more trivial kind of competition. But it made me think, um, having kind of seen the exhibition of George Jones, how important would have been you know to, to the livelihood of artists and and if you could discover you know a new color a new mineral in this age of kind of you know world expansion and sort of trade suddenly everywhere mm. uh and kind of money you know flowing through europe like never before you, your name could be made in a way that that you know that that could sort of not only kind of make you rich and famous in your lifetime um, but, you know, for all time and to be remembered for all time, um, given that uh, the ultramarine, uh, which literally meant from across the sea, was the sort of star colour of the Renaissance. Yeah. Uh, and um, this is imagining a colour even more incredible than an ultramarine. So, yeah, that, that's how the story started. Yeah, and you set yourself a huge challenge here because writing from, I mean, all writers listening to this, we know that writing about colour will sit there, oh, we've got to describe the sky again. How do we describe blue <laughs> you know, without without going to azure or lapis? Yeah. Uh, so you've set yourself a huge challenge about writing an entire novel about colour. What were yeah. the... How did you get around just falling back on the same old cliches? Uh, what was... Um, 
it went back to probably you know because I trained originally at art school, and you obviously right. you learn about how to mix colors, um, and you kind of learn about opposing colors. You know, in the spectrum, you have yes. one color, and how you you mix kind of in the opposing color, then you sort of create this sort of shadow of that color, um, and all these tricks, and it just makes you kind of think in a more original way. There's always an original way to describe a color because you just you 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 just sort of link it to something unexpected um uh and you you know you you usually um it's uh, there are colors that you know quite well but you've never really thought of as colors i mean i'm just thinking of one description that sort of describes these colors that are coming up in her in sybil's cheeks who's the sort of heroine uh and it describes this very very subtle color that you might find in the bend of a seashell uh, so you'll know these things and you'll see it and then you'll sort of you'll kind of create your own version of that when, when you read about it um but that's a tiny example obviously every page is kind of literally some <laughs> description of a color and you know the best way to do it is just to refer to another completely different object uh that everyone will be familiar with uh, right. and everyone will have a sense of what that what color that it means to them but of course it's all subjective i mean color is you know everyone's looked at something and you know with their partner and go well that's blue no that's that's gray that's <laughs> <laughs> it's, is it also the case it's is one of these things that the more you start writing about something in this case color do you start now seeing colors everywhere that you never saw before yeah definitely i mean also different shades of color um you know there's a there's a big you know um there's a sort of section in the book where he sort of talks about how there are 90 different types of yellow uh and suddenly you you it's just because you look at objects normally you don't necessarily take in their color unless you know unless they're very sort of bright or garish but yeah you suddenly become aware of the you know there's like 50 different shades of indigo in, in your own <laughs> bedroom in one form or another um uh and you know obviously everything possesses a color and and you know and also those colors change during the day or they change you know in, in someone's dress or in uh, you know literally in their skin um and uh so it's this sort of ever-changing kind of landscape but Fantastic. yeah the more you look the more the more you see Absolutely. I, I I I was watching something on telly last night, and there was someone. I think it was MasterChef actually, but there was someone talking about being colorblind, and I just thought, oh my god, I just I hate that so much. I mean, mm. you know, couldn't see anything, mm. couldn't tell the difference between any colors, and I just one's life would be so empty mm. without it. <laughs> well, it's perspective. You're seeing the world in a slightly different way. You know, I, I, it's there's an argument that we don't all see the same yellow when we see yellow. We all perceive it differently. So I think we're all on a, a spectrum, if you like, of of how we perceive the world. So that 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 challenge of writing color is is um, is incredible. And it, again, like you say, every page of your book, uh, listeners, if you've ever wanted to know how to describe color, just like uh, as with Patrick Suskin's perfume, if you ever wanted to know how to write about smell, uh, <laughs> grab a copy of The Color Storm. Um, this story is also about obsession and it's about an artist wanting to, you know, in a very competitive time, wanting to leave their mark. 
is that something that you can relate to as as a you you know you've studied art you've been an actor you you're you're also a writer is that something you think about when you're writing leaving a mark what what impression your work might leave i mean i i think you know we all want to, we all want to leave a mark somehow i mean uh, it, it is very much the theme of the book but i think as you go through you realize yeah there's the there's the mark of fame um and who doesn't want that and it's just it, it sort of horrifies me, I suppose, how many kind of great artists in the past essentially died in poverty, uh, you know, being unrecognised. I mean, mm. obviously, Van Gogh being probably the most obvious example, you know, only sold one painting in his whole life. Um, and, um, you, you know, you, you sort of rail against that, but I, it also very much becomes about actually the mark you make around the people around you and, you know, the choices you make and, and sort of your, your kindness, if that doesn't sound too clear, um, your sort of your everyday heroism, um, and, and the difference that makes. And there's this sort of, continual uh, kind of interplay between those that that sort of bigger ambition and that sort of ambition to actually just do the right thing by the people around you and the people close to you Mm. um so yeah but uh, you know who doesn't which writer doesn't think of that i mean you know it's it's a sort of it's a natural part of life to to want to leave something behind i suppose absolutely well and in your case you're you're also leaving behind physical objet d'art i mean we've had authors who they might have a tie-in mug or a t-shirt but uh you've got an art collection of uh of furniture and art tell us tell and i'll listeners i'll put a link to this in the show notes tell us about the 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 color storm collection yeah so i mean that that came about because um I've always, you know, since I went, in fact, before I went to art school, since I was a child, I've always made things and it's got more and more elaborate as time has gone on. And it's a sort of perfect antidote to sitting in a desk kind of writing, you know, and it it all starts with a drill or with a kind of electric saw or something. Uh, And more, you know, it just got more, the things I was making became more and more uh, ambitious um, and, I was so kind of swept up in the world of this book of the, you know, of these kind of incredible crafts people, uh, you know, because an artist studio, you know, the, the painter was just one person, you know, there was, a, he was a sort of bigger head, but then there was like 50 or so artisans, uh, you know, helping with the production of that painting or with the sculptures. So, and I started making things and of course everything inspired by color uh, was the thing that sort of tied it all together. Um, so these sort of fantastical objects, uh, like there's this, um, cocktail cabinet, uh, with this sort of in lapis blue with these wings and with mm. these sort of Chinese embroideries inside. And then I've got a, uh, a chandelier with kind of real birds taking off, uh, from it and a kind of big flight of red drawers with a sort of eagle taking off from it. Um, and yeah, they, they're sort of, they're all sort of tied with linked in with the book and, um, yeah, it just seemed like a good idea. I mean, (laughs) so I was kind of doing the two things in tandem and writing, um, you know, writing the the book and and creating these pieces at the same time. And yeah, it just, it was very enjoyable. 
They they um, are they are extraordinary. And listeners, do check them out. Like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes. But I have to ask, was all this furniture making, was it just procrastination to get out of writing? Because we're all <laughs> familiar with that. <laughs> I mean, no, well, I would actually, I think when anything becomes work, it becomes uh, its own. I mean, I started procrastinating about starting doing the furniture as well. So right. I, think, <laughs> I think that's just... I read somewhere about procrastination because you know, it is a thing. Mm. Um, and I I think, you know, I read it was uh, to do with sort of the fear of going into the unknown. Yeah. Um, and I often describe like starting, a, you know, a writing day, it's a bit like kind of getting into the ocean. I mean, you just sort of, when it's cold, you know, and you don't really want to do it, but you know you'll feel better when you do. Yes. And you sort of, you know, you might go and buy an ice cream or do do anything before you sort of finally like face it, and then you kind of once you're in, you're swimming around. You, mm. you know what all the fuss was about, and it's 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 it is. It's just you don't know where you're going to go, and that should be fun. But for some reason, it's also sort of mildly terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we all know once you start, you, you once you tie yourself to the death. Absolutely. No, so that's a lovely that's a lovely metaphor actually, because some of us kind of hop in, ooh, 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 it's cold, some of us go and make yeah. a great splash, and some of us get dragged out to sea. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well at least yeah. I think it's gotta be not it's got it can't be just a lovely warm Caribbean sea. It's gotta no. it's gotta have a bit of a bite to it. Yeah. To get so, that full procrastination. Absolutely. Well, let's look at where it all st- where the writing started for you. As, as I said, you studied at art school, but you you're an actor as well, uh, and then you m- moved into screenwriting. So, tell us about yeah. that and what you learned from that. Um, yeah, I mean, I I you know I did it for about ten years, and I mean, I started. I was uh, I was actually acting at the time, um, and I I was obviously reading scripts, and I just. You know, like many people do, I just had a go at, at, at writing a script, and it actually sort of took off really quickly. And I sold that in America, that first script, and then that led to essentially, I mean, just that one script led to sort of ten years of of, of employment. You know, a lot of it in Hollywood, um, and um, you know, I worked for some amazing people for some amazing company, but. Um, it became <laughs> progressively, as I'm sure so many screenwriters will say, um, sort of demoralizing because mm. because of the way the whole business of films work, you know, any producer will have to uh, develop about 10 times more than they'll ever be able yeah. to make um, because you never know which one's going to happen. You know, there's, there's no sort of surefire thing and because of those numbers it all that also means you know kind of you know you only one in ten of the things that you write will sort of either be picked up or go a bit further or, yeah. or sort of continue to be developed so the, the numbers are just stacked against you and i mean the the pay is incredible but um yeah it's it gets increasingly um sort of disheartening i think you know and i mean i just remember spending those 10 years just trying to explain to my family that i did actually have a a proper job yeah um and they were like well where you know where are the results 
advantage. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of the things that paid me to do it. Um, and at the time I had been, you know, I mean, one of the things I was being sent books because I sort of found myself in the kind of family film world, um, uh, uh, like DreamWorks. And um, mm. I was being sent books kind of, you know, with a view maybe to adapting them. And then that's when I thought, oh, shit, I, maybe I should write a book and that, that would be a kind of quicker way to make it. <laughs> <laughs> we sleep. Which leads us beautifully to the History Keepers, which is this yeah. magnificent trilogy of children's adventure stories. The Storm Begins, Circus Maximus, Night Ship to China. And the rights have been sold to working title. So tell mm. us about the, the History Keepers and how that came about. Um, so uh, that is, it's, uh, it's about a boy who finds out his parents are lost in history and he joins this secret service to track them down called the History Keepers. And, and, um, they, you know, they're a kind of set of, for lack of a better word, say, you know, double agents who sort of travel through time, uh, you know, to sort of maintain the course of history. Uh, and each um, episode, uh, you know, takes place at a different point in the past, you know, mm -hmm. a key moment in the past. Um, uh, the first one, you know, in, in, well, actually in the Renaissance as well. And then the second one in, uh, uh, ancient Rome, and then the third one is in um, Imperial China, kind of Ming Dynasty China. Um, and there is there is supposed to be a fourth, uh, if not a fifth. Um, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a long story, but you know, I'm really hoping to get to it uh, one day. Unfortunately, all of my team that was around me because uh, it was um random house who'd originally bought it um and when they merged with penguin um well nearly 10 years ago now mm. uh, the whole team essentially left right but there was right. kind of no one there there anymore to spearhead it and they've kind of gone to the winds you know well my main editor went to australia in fact um so yeah, it, it's I, but I do get I get um, you know letters. I mean not letters, but emails. Yes, you know, on a daily basis because I do leave it on this terrible cliffhanger. <laughs> right. uh, um, you know, it couldn't be worse. And I remember saying to my editor, "Should I? I can't really leave it like this. What if there isn't another book?" And she was like, "Well, no, you have to." But I always give them make them want more as it were <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i definitely i'd love to get back to it at, at some time um but it, it's very much it's it's the kind of it's like how i mean that originally started because i i found an old wasn't a school book as such but it was a book i had when i was at school and it was called the history of the world and it it kind of I mean, literally called that. And it, it was sort of a picture book and it was, you know, went through all the civilizations and kind of how they connected. Um, and I just thought, obviously, this is the greatest story of all time um, <laughs> because it is the story of all time. Um, how could you kind of tell it? How can you start to tell, you know, some of these things? The fact that, you know, the course of history can change in one day because of kind of, some discovery or an explorer or, or a battle or um or you know and the, the the history can be sort of controlled by 
individuals, you know, some great big parts of the world literally under the control of one one man or one woman. Um, and just the, you know, if you just tinker with a few details, how that could completely change the course of things. Um, and that, you know, that was the kind of backdrop to telling these stories. But yeah, it's it's an adventure. It's a sort of, you know, it's my love of James Bond and Indiana Jones is very much at the fore, I guess, you know, in these kids' uh, stories, lives. Um, but it's 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 kind of emotional as well. There's a, that obviously he's lost his family, um, you know, and Jake, the superior, then we discover his brother had also disappeared and he hadn't realised he was also working um, for this secret service. Uh, so there's this sort of thread throughout, this sort of emotional thread of mm. keeping everyone together. Well, fingers crossed for a fourth and fifth. I know how important that relationship with an editor is because it's not just that they, they edit your book, but they are your champion within the organization of the publisher and they bang the drum for you. But it's also yeah. is a very small industry. And even if, when people go to Australia, there's they have a weird way of coming back again and cropping up <laughs> yeah. a, another publisher. And, you know, so it's um, I've, I've seen these things happen. So, yeah, fingers crossed uh, we, we hear more from the history uh, keepers. But then you, you pivoted to adult fiction with a wonderful yeah. book called tomorrow and i love i love the pitch for this because it's about an immortal dog that was inspired i believe by your jack russell jack, jack russell dudley can you tell us about that yes yeah, so, um so basically i mean i'll just tell you the book yeah so it's told it's narrated as it were by a dog uh who is 217 years old um and uh, he lost his master, uh, who is almost certainly also immortal, um, 120 years ago, and he's been sort of searching for him ever since. And this story spans 250 years, and it's you know takes in all the great changes of, of kind of what they call sort of early modern uh, period of history, you know, from about 1600 to the 1850s. Uh, and all this sort of time of enormous sort of change and revolution. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it was very first inspired. It, you know, sometimes you look into the eyes of your dog and there, there's something kind of like ancient yeah. seems to be there, mm. uh, as if they really have, you know, lived through the sort of hundreds of years of time. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, actually, Dudley sadly passed away, but he, you know, he lived till he was nineteen, um, so quite a long time. But he always kind of looked like this sort of ancient philosopher. Mm. You know, looked, I mean, he was probably just thinking of dentistics or something. But um, <laughs> he, he, um, and that, yeah, that 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 was the sort of inception point. Um, and I, I absolutely, I'm so proud of the book, uh, you know, because it, it's sort of, I mean, it's obviously about people, um, uh, but it telling the story in that way, you know, and it's, it's sort of about kind of love and loyalty and ambition and what you would do if you were immortal. Um, because, you know, essentially there, there are two human characters who, who, who both go in very, very different ways. And, and kind of one is the kind of nemesis, the antagonist character, uh, and one is this master who who is obviously lost. 
Um, but it's interesting what you were saying before about, you know, telling the story through senses, because like perfume, this that story is totally told through smell, you know, because obviously a dog's mm. uh, ability to smell is kind of, I don't know, literally sort of a million times more. Yeah, than yeah. Um, and, um, you know, history was a very smelly place. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like today in our sort of clean air conditioned world, you know, the world kind of stunk in ways that it it doesn't anymore. Uh, and it became so fascinating to be able to tell the story from, from a kind of, you know, from a dog's ability to sort of smell point of view, you know, because a dog can smell emotion as well as everything else. Yes. Um, yeah. In so, yeah, I, 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 I will always kind of love that book for that for the reasons that yeah it was a very very special place in my heart Mm. Um, but i guess all books are absolutely wonderful stuff well um you you seem to be working your way through the senses uh so what's what's coming next from you damien um i so um i'm actually writing i've kind of decided to go i'm just quickly writing um a screenplay of the color storm um, oh, wow. i'm writing it on spec uh, but there are kind of various people who are interested um so but i you know to put myself in a more commanding position i'm just yes uh you know writing it but uh writing it and it's uh, i'm really enjoying it because i actually haven't written the screenplay for like 10 years and right. it's kind of made it's just so screenplay sort of century yeah. Uh, so that's fun. And then after that, um, I, I were, all I can say is I'm going to write this It's kind of a ghost story, but um, one the likes of, you know, you wouldn't have read before, a, 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 a very emotional uh, ghost story, if that makes sense, and, and, and one that feels completely grounded in reality that you, you can't, it doesn't really feel like a ghost story at all. Um, but it is one. But that, I won't say any more on that because, um, you know, it'll jinx it. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, it sounds fascinating. I'm really, really looking forward to it. But in the meantime, folks, grab a copy of The Colour Storm. If for nothing else, just to see how colour is described in more than just the usual kind of trite ways um, that I do anyway. Uh, Damien, thanks so much for speaking to us and hope to speak to you again soon. No, it's a pleasure. I don't know about you, Mark. But I picked up Fifty Shades of Grey and I didn't pick up anything about colour whatsoever. <laughs> it was very, very confusing. It was. I, I just keep thinking, you know, about Anish Kapoor copywriting The Blackest Black. I just kept thinking of Spinal Tap where they had that album cover that was just black. <laughs> it's like, how much more black can that be? And the answer is no more black, you know? So it's fantastic. But this is great because writing colour about colour and the senses, this is something... I know it's a weakness, so I focus on it all the more. And yeah. we're going to talk about that more in the extended. We've got a whole thing about writing the set, not just color, but all of the senses. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But it's, uh, it's brilliant. Just, I think his but advice this, is brilliant. This this is really fascinating because I think for me, um, it's something which we should all attempt to do as authors is to write something around the senses. Just to and, and color is one of those things that I don't know about you, but it's not some place I'd naturally go to. I mean, because we all think about, we think about smell and taste um, 
and and obviously oral senses au but the the but the the idea around writing color you've got to really stop and think about that haven't you it's a, it's a very we we see color all around us every single day every minute i mean i'm i'm surrounded in color right now but it's not a natural thing that we we're drawn to write about because mm. we just think of primary colors typically don't we all like painting kits but not yeah. um yeah. and i loved i was fascinated by how damien would even in though just in the interview how he would get you'd see him like he'd go off into into that world and start describing like mm. so much more there isn't there to be on to be untapped yeah absolutely more, more in the extended version folks. absolutely more in the extended yeah. version. um then one of the things damien talked about was procrastination which was oh we love that We love a bit of procrastination, (laughs) don't we? Yeah. Um, And, but I like the way that he described it. I mean, we can sit and debate what procrastination is and why we do it until the cows come home, um, which would be a great way of avoiding writing anything. But exactly, yeah. But the um, the way he said it was, it's the fear of getting into the unknown. Mm. And I I really like that because what is life other than the unknown? Like every second that we move forward in life. It's unknown as to what's going to happen next. And uh, he mentioned as well, he used, he used the analogy of water and he said, it's like getting into the ocean. Yeah. I don't know about you, Mark, but have you ever, have you ever gone snorkeling or scuba yes. diving? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. quite, when you, when I was, um, tra- when I was traveling, I remember going in some pretty dangerous waters. I think I remember it was in Australia, but you know, you hear about shark attacks. There's nothing more scary than getting into an ocean and having that restricted view yeah, and dunking dunking your head under for the first time. It's, dunking yeah, around, mm-hmm. and I actually did um I did a night dive once when I was in Australia on oh, the Barrier wow. Reef. It was amazing. I you went down. Nuts. <laughs> I know, right? And and you know the funny thing was is that the instructor had said to us it was a it was a scuba diving training week on a boat in in the Barrier Reef. Absolutely, the highlight of my life. One of them, and. We'd, we'd got our license, our paddy license. We'd go down to 15 meters and then a bit lower right, to right. advance. And then they said, right, we're going to do a night dive. And then we're standing there and it's pitch black and they gave us this torch. You'd love this because when you go in the water, the torch becomes like a lightsaber. It's, yeah, like, yeah. Nothing, it's like this massive shaft of light. And they said, the reason you do it is you go down there because at nighttime, when you look at the colors of the coral with a torch, you see the real colors. Ah, Whereas yeah. when you're down during the day, the ref- I think it's refraction, not a physicist, but the, 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 the sun hitting the water changes and changes actually it, yeah, mutes, yeah. mutes the vibrancy of the colors. So yeah. that was the, t- the color time. But the reason I was telling you the story is I was standing on the edge of the boat and my instructor, and I was absolutely cacking my wetsuit, <laughs> which is not a good thing. And, and my instructor said to me, Mark, take a deep breath. Okay, you, you're absolutely fine. Just remember... There's nothing down there at nighttime that isn't down there during the day. Mm. And that was meant to calm me. Is that but true? Earlier, <laughs> earlier, <laughs> earlier that day, I'd been around some coral and a shark swam past me, didn't see me, went on its way. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> but it was one of the most amazing experiences because I got to experience like colors colors of like purple coral and fish mm. and and it was just so intense it was almost like 4d you know like when you taste a strawberry that you've grown mm. for the first time in your own garden yeah, yeah. and you realize oh this is what a strawberry is meant to taste like 
that experience of going into the ocean was like, oh, this is color. So it was yeah. just the most incredible. So I can understand how Damien has gone all in on this and is just like fascinated by it. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And he, he says there's it. You, you spoke about that it's a fear of the unknown. There's also a kind of a fear of getting it wrong. I think that's one of the big things that holds writers back is that we think, I mean, I can, you know what a notebook fanatic I am, and I, I fill up all these notebooks. And very often when I, I, I'll put, you know, when I start a notebook or finish a notebook, I put it on social media, say, hey, finish a notebook, starting a notebook. And every time, I guarantee every time, I get a couple of people go, oh, I've got notebooks, but I'm too scared to put anything in them. I don't want to spoil them. And I'm like, no, look, this is this is this is what a writer does. You write all this nonsense in there yeah. and you get it, you get it wrong in here. This yes. is where you get it wrong. No one no one else has to see it except you. You know, you've you've got to accept that you are gonna get it wrong. You until, are until until they auction it off once you've snuffed it, Mark, and then of course you know, you'll be getting like the <laughs> no. in, inner minds of, of Mark Stay. Yeah, if you can read my handwriting, good luck to her. Um, you know, there is, a, there is a notebook brand out there. I, I don't know if it's a brand or a name of a notebook called Destroy This Notebook. Right. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. this idea that you, you, just, you just do, you just deface it. You do whatever you need to do in it that will get your idea on paper. Yeah, and that's great because you have to accept, if you're going to go in the ocean, you have to accept you're going to get wet. If you're going to write something, you're going to have to accept you're going to get it wrong. Yes. You know, you, and the first draft is going to be imperfect the the first words you write are going to be imperfect they're going to you're going to get it wrong but as you said earlier when you were talking about your project you're you're chipping away you're sculpting sculpting away you're you're you're, you're smoothing edges you're and then you discover what it's actually about that's what the process is that's what it's all about so yeah go in get wet come in the water's fine i mean it's interesting what you said he, that uh, damien said it can't just be like the warm caribbean sea it needs a bit of bite and i think there's something in that that you know that yeah. that fear can put a bit of fuel in your tank but um well, it gets yeah, you swimming for starters if you think exactly. there's something in there that shouldn't be there you, you start yeah. swimming and then what happens you get warm mm, i mean everyone exactly. knows that experience i, I honestly cold water in me we we don't mix kids have this asbestos skin they just like like our kids they go camping and they jump in the water and i like waltz in there going oh this would be nice and it's like, and I'm like yeah. running back out and it's like how do they do that and i but i but what i do is i i jump in now like head first and then i start swimming like mad for like a minute until i actually the shocks the shock's gone off and i've i've got used to the temperature and it, and that's what it is you got to you just got to go in head first get get completely wet are we taking this so, analogy too far much uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, you maybe you just made me think of a, you it. just you just made me think of a billy connolly routine about when he used to go swimming as a child in the north sea of scotland <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit too rude to uh, like, to uh, share here. But. It's like Wim Hof. Well, have you heard about Wim Hof, the Iceman? No. He's uh, he's a guy. I mean, he's he's done a BBC show now where they do these ice challenges where they get the celebrities. Oh, do you remember right, that? Right, the ice yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, guy's yeah. amazing, but he spent his childhood swimming in the canals of Amsterdam. I mean, how he's even alive, I don't know, but. <laughs> This guy now, I mean, if you've never checked, looked him up on, look at a documentary from Channel 4. It's on YouTube, I think, somewhere. Um, Wim Hof, the Iceman. And he did, he literally goes, he does marathons in shorts and bare feet in the Arctic. <laughs> and and he also swims, he swims under ice that's, I don't know, like one or two feet thick. They, they cut a hole in the Arctic. And he gets in, swims underwater for like, uh, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 meters. Most people 
the minute they hit that water would die instantly from Going to shock. shock. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. his he has he gets this what he calls his inner fire or something. It, it's it's mind mind boggling. Well, look, if he can do that, listeners, you can exactly dirty, dirty up a notebook I, I and get and get a few words. Desperately wrong, searching know? for a link there, Mark. But yeah, thank you very much. That's exactly no, but I think I think I, I think this analogy's got legs, Mark. I think this idea of getting in the ocean, getting wet, it's a bit uncomfortable. Um, but once you're in. Once you're in, and it, what does everyone say? Oh, it's actually it's quite pleasant. Come on in, right? the water's fine. Yeah, yeah. okay, it's all yeah. right. Actually, I got used to it quite quickly. So Just before a, they pulled so on the boat shark. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? Meg. I saw some poster Me- for this. Meg two is out. Meg, yeah, Meg two, two, and there's this out, little yeah. um, terrier dog. Have you seen yes. the poster? Yes. <laughs> what is that all about? Well, it's, it's directed by Ben Wheatley, which is a real. I mean, let's not get too. Uh, let's not digress too much Ben Wheat is one of my favourite directors I mean oh, okay. he's you know his Sightseers Sightseers is the film I wish I'd written most it's one of those films I was wow. like oh I wish I'd done that um, and he's done Free Fire and High Rise and, and he's done really low budget movies and now he's directing Meg 2 which is this mega huge blockbuster yeah. I've, I've heard him interviewed about it and he brought in all the little weird stuff like there's there's a, if you watch the trailer there's a bit with a pedalo where these people in the pedalo are trying to pedal away from this giant shark <laughs> and the little oh. pedals are going ee, 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 ee. it's brilliant and it's like yeah that's a Ben Wheatley game that's the new, that's the new yeah. psycho noise I guess that's but <laughs> I must admit, I've never seen that movie because whenever I look at it, I just think they sat around the table and right, right. Jaws was really successful. How do we take it to that times a thousand? It's based million? on it's based on a best-selling series of books, Meg. Really? Yeah, I was. I was. Came you, out is this 90s. another movie was, you're going to tell me I'm going to have to go and see now? I, I'm I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I remember the books coming out and thinking, "Cool, oh, yeah, right." And they were huge, absolutely. I think there were three or four of them in the end. You know, and each each one there's more and more sharks, but um, yeah. Actually, quick segue, um, uh, COVID, cinema, a lot of people. It's the first time I've been in a full cinema for I can't think of how many years. And, I, right. and I've and i made a pact that I'm going to start going to cinema more often. So yeah. I think what we should Thank do you. is we should do, a, yeah, we should do a segment on the show each week. Because I know you go like almost every day, don't you? You've got some like no, mega not quite, no. But, but it seems like that. But the um, I think we should do a new segment on the show where... Uh, we share the movie that we've seen, the movie of the week, the best-selling right. experiment, movie of the week. Love it. But it has to be, the, the, the link has to be, it's it's in some way useful for writers to go and see, right? We've got to somehow link writing to it. So there you go. That's our oh, challenge. That's, oh, that's easy peasy. I know, mate. I know. I know. I very easy for you because <laughs> you sit there with your notebook in, in the cinema going, da, 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 right. But I think that would be a fun thing to do because I do think we all need a good excuse to get back to the cinema. And I think it's important, like, a lot of authors, we're going to hear it from a very successful author in a few weeks. Most important thing we should do as authors is to read more. But I also think we should allow ourselves to watch really well-written films because I think that inspires us. Um, mm. And it helps us dream about our book one day being in the cinema as well, right? Absolutely. So it's, like it's a great experience. Stores. Brilliant. Mm. So we'll do that, folks, um, starting when one of us sees a movie next. But <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about this very interesting journey that Damien went on where um, he was being sent books to adapt as a screenwriter. Um, and he just came to this conclusion that I should just cut the middleman out. Exactly. Become an author. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's, it's, as he said, screenwriting can be demoralizing. You know, you, you can, you can have a whole career writing and earning screenplays and earning money uh, and never have anything made. And, you know, a lot of screenwriters get by on that. And uh, I, I can 
tell you now, I've got so many, so many unmade screenplays. You know, I've had two made uh, out of oh, that's dozens and dozens. You know, mm. so uh, which is quite a good, quite a good hit rate for yeah. a UK screenwriter. Well, um, that's the thing. You've got to almost unlike as a screenwriter, you've got to write ten times plus what you easily. hope to get out there, which is what you said. Whereas yeah. this is the beauty. Let's just take a moment. Stand back. Like there were, this were the, this was the case for authors in the nineteenth century, mm. in the most of the twentieth century, when you couldn't publish your own book. And I think we should celebrate the fact that we now have this. I mean, I know we're all, you know, it's all out there. But we do have to stop sometimes and just say, "Wow, what an incredible time we live in!" Because again, when we take the wide-angle lens back, and you know, people are studying the history of publishing in a hundred years from now. They will be talking about this as a Renaissance period. It's when it's when mm. people could express they had their own platform. They could write a book and put it out there with no, um, with no none of these issues of. Because I'm thinking about how many authors are there that were born say I don't know 1850, who spent their entire life writing books and their entire life pitching books to publishers and never, ever had a single piece of work ever published. I mean, how many in the world? There'd be absolutely thousands upon thousands of people. Actually, um, you were talking about movies for writers and talking about Barbie. See Greta Gerwig's previous film, her adaptation of Little Women. There's a bit where, uh, I've forgotten the name of the character, but played by Saoirse Ronan, uh, goes to a New York publisher to negotiate with her publisher. It's brilliant. Ah, what era is Little Women again? Is that um... Uh, it's uh, just after the American Civil War, so eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies. So yeah, there's a good. That's a good. Did I just suddenly thought how ironic? (laughs) Greta Greta Gerwin, she did Little Women, and then she went to Barbie. Yeah, I never made that it. connection. Very good, yeah. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> God knows. Okay, so competition time, folks. What's the next movie she's going to make? <laughs> yeah, Follow yeah. that. Follow that progression. What is the next movie after Barbie? Oh, brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very important. And, and then you see the flip side of it. You see the flip side of what happened to Damien when, you know, he's got this, he's got this team, this team, not just a, a person at the publisher, but a team of people working with him. Um, on his books at Random House. And then there's the Penguin takeover. Mm. And then the entire Random House team are disbanded. And this is a this is an interesting thing to talk about because I think when people get into a traditional publisher, I think the stereotype, and again, I'm talking from someone who hasn't done that yet. So Mark, you can obviously talk about this from, from having achieved it, but it's not a guarantee that the rest of your career is set and you've got these this group of people that you work with it's a bit like in a company, if you're working with a group of people, like at any moment, one of those people or an entire department could get like a cut or move on. And then you, and we've, we've heard this before, haven't we, of, of authors being kind of slightly stranded mm. when their, their supporters, if you like. Yeah. Uh, the people yeah. that made editor- it happen go. The editor doesn't just edit your book. They are your champion within the company. Mm. So it starts at the acquisition meeting when they champion you to the other members of the acquisition team to, to take you on and to take a risk on you, to risk uh, you know the, the money, uh, the advance money 
which is getting smaller. Um, and then they, there'll be a presentation to the sales and marketing teams and publicity teams that they're champion there. And that continues all the way up to publication and post-publication. You know, they'll be saying, okay, we're looking for titles for a Kindle promotion this month. Your, your editor has to make a case for you then. So they are very much banging the drum for you in within the walls of, of, of the publisher. So when that happens with something like the the random house the penguin random house sort of merger um it can be devastating when you you lose your your editor i mean i've been lucky in that uh the editor who took me on at simon schuster left to become an agent and then i got a another editor who i knew from my work at orion uh and she did two books and now she's left and now i'm on my third editor in four books but they've all been great you know but i you do hear horror stories where Authors have been, you know, been assigned to an editor who is either o- overloaded with work or just yeah. not right for them, and it doesn't click. And well, they've they still got, click, to, yeah, yeah, and you've still got two books to deliver in your contract, which must be really well, tough. It comes down a lot of it comes down to personality. Like if an author and editor just don't vibe together, then that makes for a much harder relationship and a you know more debating maybe. But it also, the fact that you've had three editors over the series of books, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like having a, it's the way they bring in different directors for different, for the series yes. of movies and they, and you get like, a, <laughs> or a different writer for each. Well, that's not a good example actually, but like, you know how in, in series they have different writers for different The director episodes. thing's a good analogy actually. Yeah. 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 Interesting. interesting. Yeah. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. But they've all been now, great. Now there's so much more we want to talk about. So in the extended this week, we are going to talk about DIY tie-ins. Now, folks, listen, this is a biggie because if you're thinking, how do I make money out of my books? Well, we're going to talk about a concept that we were, we've been chatting about, which is every author should have some other commercial venture linked to their book like Damien has. And we're going to talk a bit about his his. Um, business side business is probably making more money than his books looking at the website (laughs) um so if you're interested in that join us for the extended we're also going to dive in and mark's going to give us a deep dive on writing senses which is going to be absolutely fascinating so folks if you'd like to support the podcast get access to all this great content you can either join the academy academy academy.bestsellerexperiment.com where all of this is uh index for you you can search for it very very easily dive into whatever you need to to learn about this week uh or pop along to to uh bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and join up to our patron uh so links in the show notes yeah all in the show notes folks absolutely (laughs) so mark what's happening with wins this week oh i've got i've got such a good one i've got such a good one so laura shepherd been with the bxp team Years. I mean, uh, just you know, a really valuable member of, of the team. And I've known this has been coming for a little while, so I'm, I've, we've all been sort of sitting on this news. But it was announced on the bookseller this week, uh, Laura Shepard. She says, uh, I've got some wonderful news. My debut, The Trials of Lila Dalton, is being published by Pushkin Vertigo on 1st of February 2024. And look, I was sent a proof. I'm oh a lucky gosh. boy. I got a proof. And it's absolutely been that. Now, I'm going to read you a bit of the blurb as well. well first of all, a quote from Sophie Hanna unputdownable from the first page. As the mystery deepens, readers will be on the edge of their seats, desperate to know what happens next. That's from Sophie Hannah. It's on the back there. Uh, it's, and it's, it says, written by a British barrister, Laura, who has worked on several high-profile cases. This thrillingly inventive depiction of a UK courtroom is rooted in her extensive experience. And I'm just going to read the blurb for you here. So this is Lila Dalton 
has no memory of how she got to this courtroom. The man in the dock is accused of mass murder and she's his barrister, but she can't remember anything about the case. She can't remember anything at all. Lila is stranded on an island hundreds of miles from the UK where they tried domestic and foreign criminals for the most serious crime crimes. The next plane doesn't leave for days and she's being watched. Someone keeps breaking into her hotel room to leave cryptic notes, threatening her with deadly consequences if she doesn't get her client off. Can Lila Dalton win her case and solve the mystery of her own identity? What a belter! Whoa. This has got smash hit all over it. It's fantastic. So I, I'm just over the moon for Laura. This is this is so well deserved. She's worked so hard to get this far, and um, it's just brilliant. I think it's great. And congratulations, Laura, for, for all of all the success you've had so far and all the successes to follow. And this is what's lovely about the, the BXP team is we, we've got to journey with so many authors and sometimes it is over. I mean, the BXP team has now been going nearly six years because we started yeah. it pretty much when we launched the podcast. Um, and it's just an amazing place to hang out. And honestly, the level of success, you know, I, I know that for the number of people we have in it, it's a small exclusive group, but the number of people we have in it, the level of success is unproportionately huge <laughs> compared to, I think, yeah, other writing groups. So um, congratulations, Laura. And if you want to be a part of the BXP team, you can become that by just joining the academy. And that's part of what you get as part of the membership. And you get to hang out with all kinds of amazing authors. And we will be reporting back on Laura's journey as we hear more. Now, another friend of the podcast, another mem member of the BXP team, Mike Shackle. Uh, love Mike. Uh, now, he wrote the the Last War trilogy for Golance, which is We Are the Dead, A Fool's Hope, Until the Last. He said, I was really gutted when Golance decided not to make hardbacks in my books when they originally, originally published them. However, all good things come to those who impatiently wait. So excited that the Broken, bi Broken Binding are doing these collector editions. And these are absolutely gorgeous these now for those who don't know broken binding do limited edition uh they have sprayed edges they've got these amazing uh covers on them as well they're just phenomenal so it's again this is the thing it's you know you have your book first published uh maybe you wanted a hardback you don't get a hardcover but book, these books never really die you know there's 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 different ways to revitalize your books and bring them back to life so i'm going to share a link in the show notes so everyone can check that out because they look absolutely fantastic really really cool um, Mr. D, now you're not the only one making a public declaration this month as well. We've got Andrew Guile, again, in the BXP team. He said, right, I'm going to make a public declaration in an attempt to turbo boost my first draft. I've been logging my words on the 200 words a day challenge and I've been pretty consistent. Mage Asylum is over 12,000 words now and is up and running, but I feel I need to get more momentum with it. So... I declare that I will finish a first draft before the end of 2023. I reckon it will come out at 80,000 words. So that's 68,000 to go in five months or 21 weeks, which is 462 words a day. Come on. So brilliant. brilliant. Andrew, congrats with that. Good luck. Good luck. And uh, Lynn Milford over on Twitter, she's doing the 200 words a day challenge, but she's editing. She says, 10 chapters edited today and concentration span has gone off the boil. Does this count as 200 words a day? Yes, it does. What's our exchange rate for our exchange editing? exchange rate is 20 minutes for 200 words. So if you edit for 20 minutes, you bank the 20 minutes edited because you can do that on the form. Yep. And, and that's your 200 words. That's amazing. Like 10 10 chapters that's a brilliant it's really good absolutely really good exciting so amazing should, amazing and we should mention if you want to do the 200 word challenge it's uh, 200wordchallenge.com 
Fantastic. So, folks, Simple. if you've got a win, drop us a line, get in touch. Uh, you can contact us at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. Uh, on social media, on Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. On Twitter, Instagram, and threads, we are at bestsellerxp. Brilliant. And in the extended this week, we talked about anyone who has uh, set up a side business linked to their books. And we did a whole brainstorming around how you can make more money. And so if you are one of those people, I just want to put it out there to the to the main audience. So if you've done that successfully, tell us what it is that you've done. Is it furniture? Is it a handbag range? Is it a deal with the local tourist office? Whatever it might be, let us know because uh, we'd like to talk about it and share because we think this is a definite, definite route for definitely self-published authors well even traditionally published authors i mean then why not like go for it so um and it will help us to to you know make additional funds uh which um which is obviously a value to every author out there so brilliant stuff do check out and if you want to hear more about that check out the extended it was a whopper this week absolutely brilliant all right folks so thank you so much mr stay this week it's been absolutely brilliant fun can't wait to hear what's happening in your world next week and for everyone out there writing this week wanted to leave you with one thought and that is this week could be the week when you write your best words so get writing folks and on that note it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye, goodbye.